following sermon is from Grace City Church, located in DY, Sydney, Australia. If you'd like to know more about us, head to gracecitychurch.net. One or two folks have said to me, oh, where's Julie? Where's your wife? Um, but just to say it's a policy decision to leave her at home, I don't take her anywhere with me because... <laughs> Because she never changes. She looks as young as ever. And um, if you, if you, uh, last year went to the UK and uh, went to a conference over there, so many old friends, and, and I was so tired of the conversation. They went, oh, Julie, you haven't changed. You look so young. Hi, Pete. <laughs> so I said, enough, enough. This is not going to happen anymore. No, no, she will come over next time I come. I mean, she would love to come, and I'd love to bring her over. And uh, she knows so many of you here as well. So, yeah, just to explain that little one. Um, but listen, uh, let's go to um, this next little... Oh, there I am there. Presence. There we go. Right there. Um, session two. Session two. <laughs> Fantastic. Just so good being with you. So enjoy it. Um, amazing how God just links hearts. We're a family of churches and... You know, it's so easy to come amongst you, um, and it is like being amongst our own folks. And that's something that God does. You know, this is what it is to be a family, and that's across the nations as well, whether it's in Cambodia or, you know, Japan or, you know, other places, you know, where we could think of, you know, there's where we are, uh, Philippines, um, and obviously there's Perth and, you know, there are churches in New Zealand. But look, we're family and we so appreciate coming in and think, oh, this is family. Um, it's something that God does and we really treasure it. But fundamentally, as I was wanting to get across, is that we are a people of the presence. Um, presence is everything. Uh, and you know, I loved the songs earlier on this morning. Even in ordinary Day-to-day life presence is important, and um, uh, I, I particularly like Gordon Fee. And um, is it going to work? Oh, put it on again, Pete. There we go. This is Gordon Fee. He simply makes the point that nothing else can take the place of presence—not telephone calls, not mementos, nothing. Ask the person who has lost a lifelong mate what they miss the most. And I know when my mum lost my dad, um, photos weren't enough, you know. It was presence that she missed. And I think that's true. And, uh, yeah, what makes shared life, games, walks, concerts, outings, and a myriad of other things so pleasurable? It's presence. And, uh, and that is so true. Several months ago, I was just mentioning uh, Julie earlier, uh, Julie was going back to the UK for a month to see her folks. And... Uh, so I was driving her to the airport, and, um, and we were feeling a bit glum, really, because she's going to be off for a month. And uh, so I'm driving away, and then said goodbye. It was all pretty hard. And then as I was driving away from the airport, a schoolboy thought just went into my head. And the, and the thought and the word was freedom. <laughs> it, it was freedom. I, I, will, I will be free to watch the telly that I want to watch. I'll be free to eat the food that I like. I'll be free to go to bed when I want to go to bed. I'll be free. And the thing is, you know how long that thought managed to last for? It was about 10 minutes. Because it dawned on me that all the things I could now do 
wouldn't mean anything without her. And so it faded away. And I think just to underline again, presence is everything. And the truth is, it doesn't matter how nice a house may be or how well ordered or tidy. Look, if it's empty or empty of the person you love, it's a dud. All right, it is a dud. And uh, as we've been saying, that's true of the house of God. And it doesn't matter how ornate it might be, how well run, how pumped, without the presence, without the spirit, it's a dud. And uh, yeah, that's the truth. And God has called us to be a people of the spirit. Sorry, God has called us to be a people of the spirit and a people of the presence. And, and that's corporately as a church, as we've been saying in the last session, but, but also individually. And I don't know about you, but you know, my longing, I, I long to be more and more a man of the spirit. You know, a man who knows the ways of the spirit and the voice of the spirit and the power of the spirit. That's my yearning. And, uh, and I just really believe that's crucial to us all. And so in this session, what I'd like to do is to focus on more what it means to be a person of the presence, a, a person of the Spirit. And, uh, and to help with that, I thought I'd focus on a man in the New Testament who becomes, I think, one of the most Spirit-filled men in the New Testament, as far as I can tell. And I want to focus on him because as I studied this guy... It's interesting. I, I found that there were just one or two things going on in his heart, actually, that seemed to make all the difference. Uh, a couple of crucial things, and I want to try and share them with you, and then I want to pray and ask God to help us lay hold of them for ourselves. So that's kind of where I'm going. So first of all, I need to clarify, who's the guy I'm talking about? Well, it may surprise you, but he's right back there in the key passage that I mentioned at the start, and that's the Apostle Peter. And there he is, Acts 2.14, at the beginning of that chapter, Peter stood up, raised his voice, and he addressed the crowd. It's Peter. I believe he becomes one of the most spirit-filled men in the whole Bible. And I said earlier, it may surprise you, um, because people don't always naturally associate Peter with the Spirit, funnily enough. Uh, and for many people, he's a, he's a bit of a mixed bag, really, isn't he? You know, he's the guy who tends to speak before he thinks, if you read the Gospels. Um, and uh, he can say some great things in the Bible. You know, you are the Christ, Son of God. That's a great thing. Um, but he can come out with some real duds as well, you know. And that's true, because only a moment or two after he says that to Jesus, Jesus turns on him and says, get behind me, Satan. All right, that's a, that's a duffer. That one, all right, of Peter's. And, uh, and if anyone says that to you, then uh, it wasn't a good contribution, all right? You get, get that as a, a little bit of a hint there. If Mike says that to you, then... No, it's, it's a duffer. Okay, so he comes out with a number of things like that, if you read the Gospels, actually. Um, and it's probably true that Peter wasn't the sharpest tool in the shed as well, in terms of what's going on in his mind. Um, I mean, he's not. He's a Galilean fisherman, for goodness sake, so that's what he knows, uh, in Acts 4.13, the Sanhedrin, they took note, it says, that he and John were unschooled, ordinary men. Now, I don't know how they knew that. I don't know whether it was where they kind of walked or slouched or spat on the floor or what. I have no idea. But they took note, unschooled, ordinary men. And, um, yeah, so whatever that means. He was ordinary. And he's not an intellectual giant. He's not like the Apostle Paul. In fact, I love it in Second Peter when uh, he says about the writings of Paul, he says, the epistles, his epistles, he said about Paul, contain some things that are hard to understand. 
And I wonder whether he's saying, I don't know what he means either. I don't know. I, I suspect not. But, you know, he's, he's not up there with Paul, is he? He's not quite so sharp. And, uh, and doesn't that give you hope? You know, I, I find that gives me hope. And actually, actually, there are some times, aren't there, when he gets things very wrong. And uh, when Paul writes to the Galatians, he says, look, he had to really call Peter out and tell him off publicly. All right, so in many ways, he's not the most impressive guy around, and yet, and yet the encouraging thing is none of this stops him from being one of the most spirit-filled people of the New Testament. It doesn't stop him, and it doesn't stop us. All right? I mean, there are so many other things that suggest he's full of the Spirit. So, of course, in Acts chapter 2, when the Spirit comes, who stands up full of the Spirit to explain what's going on? Uh, well, it's Peter. In Acts 3, who's moving in healing power so that the lame guy stands up healed? Well, that will be Peter. In Acts 9, he's raising the dead back to life. In Acts 5, verse 15, even Peter's shadow seems to be full of the Spirit because people are laying sick people in a shadow that they are, and they are healed. That's not bad. That's a good thing. In Acts 8... Peter goes up to Samaria, and he and John, they baptize the whole town in the Spirit. That's good going. And then in Acts chapter 10, he's in Cornelius' house. He preaches, and in verse 44 of chapter 10, it says, While he was still speaking, the Holy Spirit came on them all. That's wonderful. I'd love that. That's tremendous. He carries the presence of God with him to a remarkable degree. And the long and short of it is this. I'd love Peter to be in our church in Wellington. In fact, I'd like to be that guy. I would like to be that guy. And just to say this as well, look, that's not impossible. I just want to put that out there this morning. Church history is full of Peters, actually. Girls and guys, and this is what I love about the grace of God. Girls and guys have broken through in the spirit, and they've changed their communities around them as a result. And there are many Peters out there today as well. In fact, I was reading a, a book on the revivals of the past, which I love reading about revivals. And um, I, came across, I came across this guy here, uh, Jonathan Edwards. Some of you will know about him. Uh, but fundamentally, he was a pastor, actually, a local pastor in the 1730s in America, uh, in the kind of northeast, the kind of New England area. And um, he's an amazing guy, really, because um, he was used by God to really pour the spirit out across his whole community which is amazing because he wasn't an amazing speaker he was actually known to be quite dull uh gives us all great hope you know he, he, he was monotone and read from a book um but he would preach and the spirit would come and in fact the statistics are amazing um out of an estimated population of 250,000 in the new england area where he was ministering in the 1730s uh, they reckon that 50,000 were added to the church uh, in what was going on there, the outpouring of the Spirit. He was a man of the Spirit. And there's one sermon preserved from a particular service that took place in a town called Enfield in 1742 when the Spirit came. And this town of Enfield, it's such a laugh really because they were anti the Spirit. They were anti the revival. They were anti. They spoke it out. It's not coming among us. And then uh, Jonathan Edwards comes into the church on a Sunday night and he begins to preach. And, um, and this is what happened. I've asked Mike just to read out what happened in Enfield in 1742, the night 
that uh, Jonathan Edwards spoke. Off you go, Mike, cheers. His text was Deuteronomy 32:35. Their foot shall slide in due time. His theme was the fear of an eternity without salvation. He was a guest speaker on this occasion and unknown to the congregation at Enfield, exception, except by reputation, and at the beginning of the service, the people were careless and indifferent. He stood to preach, as usual, with his tiny sermon booklet in his hand, occasionally speaking extemporaneously by way of illustration or enlargement as he read what he had written. But as the sermon proceeded, the Holy Spirit convicted them of sin. Suddenly everyone was overwhelmed, and they felt their peril as never before. Strong men were gripped with the most awful fear of hell. Some of them felt they were already slipping down into the fires of a lost eternity, and they clung to the pillars of the meeting house and cried aloud for mercy. So great was the crying at one point that the preacher's voice was drowned, and he had to stop and ask for silence. The results were lasting, and the revival had come at last to Enfield as to the rest of the colony. I mean, isn't that wonderful? I would love it. Quiet, everybody, I'm trying to preach. It's a freaking help. I mean, what a wonderful thing, the Spirit coming. But the thing is, have you ever read that sermon? It's still preserved for us, that, that sermon he preached. Well, I, I've read the sermon, and it's very dull. It, it is. It's, I've, personally, maybe others get something more out of it. I, I thought, I quit after 10 minutes. Very boring. But you see, he's a man who's full of the Spirit. And as in Peter's day, people are pierced to the heart. So these Spirit-filled types, they are around. One of my other favorite characters from revival history is a guy called Hugh. Uh, and uh, he was powerfully used by the Spirit in England around 1800. And uh, amazing, because he was such a shy man. He was so, so frightened of speaking publicly that he would speak with his hand in front of his face. So he'd be there preaching, and he'd be looking through his fingers occasionally, and he'd be preaching. And meanwhile, the Spirit of God would come, and many would be saved. And one of the witnesses of his sermon once, of his, when he's preaching, he said this, The Holy Spirit descended in such a degree that for some time we could scarce stand or speak. So great was the power of God upon us. I mean, don't you love that? There he is. Where are they all? They're on the floor. Oh, my word. <laughs> You know, the sense of God being upon this guy. So, look, they are around. Make no mistake, they are around. So I've got to ask the question, what was it in Peter and many of these other girls and guys then that made them good soil to receive the Spirit so powerfully? And I just... And I believe, as I said earlier, there are a few crucial things, and I just want to put them out there. And to be honest, they are embarrassingly obvious, but I feel an urgency to bring it to you anyway. I find actually the, the greatest things of God are actually the most simple. Yeah? And this is true in this case. So, so number one, the biggest and most obvious thing about Peter, I believe, is this is that he was a man who more than anything loved and thirsted after the person of Jesus. He did. He loved and thirsted after the person of Jesus. And that's the bottom line. And you can see this throughout the New Testament. Peter was glued to Jesus. I, I just love it that Peter was one of Jesus' closest, most intimate friends. He was one of the intimate three with James and John. 
and, uh, and, and so precious that, that, that Jesus confided things to him and the other two that he didn't share with other people. Like he confided the highest moments and the darkest moments to these three. So that uh, on the mountain when Jesus is transfigured and glorified, it says that he takes Peter along with James and John. Uh, and then when he's in the Garden of Gethsemane, the darkest moment of his life, really, up to the cross, it says he takes Peter along and James and John. And he says to Peter in Matthew 26, he says, he confides in him, it's beautiful. He says, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. That's one of the most moving statements. Stay here and keep watch with me. It was to Peter. He's captivated. Peter is by Jesus. And, and, and he's that kind of guy that Jesus can confide in. That doesn't happen overnight. That's a, that's a life now of Peter glued to the person of Christ. I love it the way at the end of John when, when Jesus is on the beach. They've been fishing all night. They don't catch anything. And, and, uh, somebody, and then Jesus says, go, cast over the other side. And they do. And they gather a, a lot in. And, and the, the apostle, one of the apostles says to Peter, oh, that's the Lord. And then Peter, it says, gathered his cloak around him and just threw himself into the sea because he wanted to be there even if it's just a few minutes before everybody else this wonderful love for Jesus and uh, it's a beautiful thing and of course that immediately makes him a prime candidate to be full of the spirit you say well why well because the spirit is referred to again and again as the spirit of Jesus or the spirit of Christ if you love Jesus you love the spirit It's not one or the other. That's the first really obvious thing to say. But it's a big one. Peter loved Jesus. But I just want to unpack it a bit more because Peter's love for Jesus, and this is what I really want to focus on, I guess, this morning, it was a particular kind of love. It was more than just a state of of the heart. More than a state of the heart. It was a love that shaped his life and caused him to make huge life choices. Because, you see, the truth is this, is that, is that we can all love many things, can't we? There's so much in our day and age to love. There's so much stuff out there. It's like living in a sweet shop, really. There is so much now. The whole entertainment industry, there's so much to love. The, the reality is I can love a, a song or a, a painting you know, or a poem or a story or a film or a, or a country scene or a sport but you see, none of those loves change my life, really, do they? they, they don't cha- we we kind of add them on to the lifestyle that we already have. They, they, they're additions, all right? They make no demands of me. But, but Peter's love for Jesus affected everything. In fact, it says in Mark 10, 28, Peter actually says, We have left everything to follow you. We've left everything to follow you. And look, he really had everything had gone. His whole fishing business by now had probably gone. He had left Galilee and was following Jesus now. And you've got to think about that for a second. And I know it's hard because we live in such a globally aware culture now and a mobile culture. But, but try, if you can, imagine if you've never lived more than several acres or gone more than several acres around your little town and you don't have any TV or internet. You know, you're a fisherman in a village in Galilee. It's all you've ever grown up with. And look, in one sense, that sounds really dull and familiar and boring, but, but it's secure. 
It's secure for Peter. It's a way of life handed down from Peter's dad and his granddad and his great-granddad. It's all he's ever known. And so for Peter, it's all gone. He's left it for Jesus. And, and all the little dreams and hopes that get attached to that little life are gone too. You know, all the hopes he'd been hiding in his heart. You know, one day, one day we can save up for a bigger boat. You know, or, or one day we can, we can maybe afford that bigger house down the street. You know, or, or one day our kids will be big enough to take on the business. Or, or one day I can sit back and enjoy my grandkids. It's all gone. It's gone. We've left everything to follow you. So Jesus is, is not just another love that Peter's adding on to his old lifestyle. No, his old life is gone. It's just Jesus now. And, and in fact, to me, it's almost like this. It's like Peter steps out of his own little world, little kind of world system he's only ever, ever known. He steps out of that, shuts the door, and the new world, a whole new world opens up before him. It's a world that's centered and focused on Jesus. He shut the door on one little world. He stepped into this big world, and it's focused on Jesus. And his little world is blown apart. And it's clear it's a choice that Peter makes out of his love for Jesus. doesn't have to, but he chooses to. And his life is never the same again. His little world is blown apart. And guys, I just think we need to hear this, because actually we're not as far off as we think from Peter and the little world that he had, actually. In fact, some would argue that we're often more locked into our own the, the, the worlds, the little worlds, than he was back in his day. I mean, his culture, our culture, has been described as the most individualistic, self-centered society in history, where everything is about me and my world and my preferences, isn't it? How can I be more fulfilled? How can I be free to express myself? How can I be satisfied and happy? Our whole advertising industry is built on that. By this, to make your little world happier or more comfortable or more convenient. You know, I remember a day when you used to have to get out of your chair and walk across the lounge floor and switch the telly on. I remember that day. Now you sit back in your chair and you just press which button? It's what you do. The other day, a little while ago, I was trying to—I was getting irritated by the remote control, and um, and I think, oh man, I, I can't get my Apple TV to work, and uh, I lost the wrong remote control, uh, and so my program that I want to watch I can't look at, and I'm getting more and more irritated in my armchair. And then my oldest boy Sam, who's been out to Cambodia in the church out there, he puts his head around the door and he says, first world problem, Dan." And I thought. <laughs> Oh, yeah, it's true. Because our first world problems are all about our little worlds, our little preferences. And, and we can't help it. We're not to blame in a sense. We are products of our culture too. Trouble is it does overflow into the church, especially in the way that we talk about our calling and our purpose. You know, I've often heard people say, what's God's purpose for my life? What's my calling? What's my ministry? What is God's will for me? And it's almost like we're in our own little world that revolves around me. And it's like God is watching us saying, how can I help you find your purpose in your will? 
And uh, what can I do? Uh, it's all about me and my purpose. Look, I want to give you a quote this morning that could change your life. And this is what the quote is. It's from a, a guy who was a wonderful d- d- disciple, actually. He says this. Get this. What is God's will for my life is not the best question to ask. I think the right question is simply, what is God's will? Once I know God's will, then I can adjust my life to him and his purposes. The focus needs to be on God and his purposes, not my life. Can you see what he's saying? He's saying, look, our calling is to live not in our little world, but in Jesus' world. Our calling is to find out what his purpose is, where his heart is at, what he values. And it's not what is my purpose, but Jesus, what is yours? And the thing about it is it's not hard to work out. Jesus loves the lost, and he wants to build his church to reach them. That's the will of God. That's That's what he loves. And that's where his spirit is. That's where his spirit is. And therefore, I allow that to shape my life. The job I go for, the city I live in, the people I hang out with, the person I get attached to and marry. How can I serve Jesus in that, whatever it is required? And that's what Peter does. He shuts the door in his own little world and he opens the door into God's world and everything changes from that point. And it's amazing, he starts off in Mark 1 as a little fisherman by a lake, but by the time he writes 1 Peter, he's a shepherd of many churches. He's affecting the lives of thousands of people. He's based back in Rome by then. He's writing the word of God. He's a man repeatedly, it says, full of the Spirit and tied into God's great plan. And you think, what a journey from being a little fisherman to that. Folks, I just want to put this out there. God is calling us to that kind of journey. God had grown Peter and brought him into the heart of the world of the Spirit. You want to be full of the Spirit? Then let's go where the Spirit is. Reaching the lost, building the church, that it might reach the lost. That's where the spirit is. Peter's life was turned upside down. He was never the same again. And actually, I believe God wants to speak that over some people today, this morning. It's like God saying, for too long you've been in your little world. Now I know you go to church and you go to connect group and and you'll help when you're asked to. You'll volunteer. But you know you're in your world. It still revolves around you and your preferences and your dreams and your fishing boat. And, and, and this or that, this small thing. I believe that God would say, it's time to leave it behind. Because you've also noticed this, it's a bit dry and a little bit aimless life at the moment. Well, I would suggest that's because you're in a little world. And you need to leave it and come into God's where he is the focus. And just to say, it's a call that God will continue to bring you again and again at various times in your life. The first time I heard this call was when I was 17 or 18 years old. Uh, It was only a few years after I got saved, and I remember I was um, in a little church of about 40 people in Wellington. And uh, I was the guy who would come to church and put the chairs out, and I would never say a word to anyone. And the reason I never said a word to anyone was because I couldn't. I I couldn't speak. It was terrible. I had a stutter that was so bad. I couldn't say anything. And it got to the point where people didn't even say hello to me because they, they agonized that I would have to try and reply. 
Or, how are you, Pete? Oh, don't worry, don't worry. <laughs> it's like, that's how bad it was. I was a guy, I was the silent guy in church. I put the chair down and I'll just go home again. That was my life. Until one day, a prophet visited us and he got me up to stand in front of the church. He put his hand on my head and said, you will preach. You will speak. You will, you will share the word of God to many people. And I remember standing there going, they must all be laughing, you know, in the church. Because I thought, that is so unbelievable. And I still remember. But you know what? But I held it in my heart. I thought, oh, God, you can do miracles. Who knows? Uh, but I kept it hidden there until a year or two later, the challenge finally came where I step out in it. And I remember it very clearly because it was agony where we had, there was an inter-church outreach in the town I was in at the time. And, uh, oh man, I remember this. And uh, the pastor of our church said, um, Pete, um, you're the preacher. And because I couldn't really reply properly, he thought I agreed. I would go, oh, oh. <laughs> so, so. And the idea was that there would be a song and then I would get up and preach in front of these hundreds of people. And uh, I still remember the day so vivid because there we were. I was terrified. I didn't sleep the night before. I didn't know what I was going to do. And then uh, the song started, all these people, and I ran away. I remember I ran. I just ran. I was off. <laughs> Afterwards, someone said to me, oh, we saw you running away. It was like you're going to get a word from God. And I said, I thought, no, I was just running. <laughs> I was off. And I ran and I ran. I remember running across the car park away from this crowd. And I still remember slowing down and stopping and thinking, I can't run. I can't run. God is calling me. I need to turn. And I remember walking back very slowly. And that the song ended. They gave me the mic. I stood up. And I preached a blistering sermon. You should have been there. It was amazing. It was one of the times the Spirit of God moved, and people were just encountering God. It was like, and I was more mystified than anybody. It was like God had said, "Time to leave your little world. Time to come into mine." Are you up for it? Are you courageous enough? Will you be bold enough? And for me, it was that kind of choice. And you know what? It's never stopped. The call comes back again and again. Because then God made it my job to speak in front of people. I thought, what kind of joke of heaven is that? And so every Saturday night, I used to be terrified. Oh, I'm going to preach in the morning. And why is this my job? It was a shocker. It was my life. You know, I, I still don't know how it's going to go. Mike said, oh, you're going, to be, you're going to be ready to preach. I thought, well, I, I don't know. We'll just see. <laughs> it's having to trust in the grace of God every step of the way. I've got to trust him for the end of the sentence. It is how it is. But I do thank God for the ways that God has done things as we've bumbled along. As I've, but the point is, it's about putting aside something where you were comfortable, it was your little place, it was your little space, you were satisfied enough to walk into the world that is around Jesus and his mission and look what Jesus can do if you step into that because that's where the Spirit is. Amen? That's where the Spirit is. I just believe that God is provoking one or two of you here this morning and he's saying it's time for you to leave your little world because I have something, um, I want you to step up now. And it's out of your comfort zone, but it's where my spirit is. You want to be full of the spirit? Come this way. Because it's about me and my purposes, not yours. And watch him turn your life on its head. I just feel that God is something, uh, wants to say that to one or two of you this morning, maybe more. Uh, and you know what I'm talking about. It's time to step up in ways that may have, you may be surprised. Uh, dreams you've had, it's time. Actually, they were God and he's calling you to step up now.
Just be aware of that. Peter responded to the call. He moved out of his small world and he actually grew into a bigger man in God. And this turns me to my second point about Peter because in a way it's a result of the first and it's really this, that Peter grows into what uh, I can only call, I can only call this, he, he, he grows into apostolic breadth. Apostolic breadth. It's the only phrase I can use. What do I mean by that? I guess I mean this. He grows on the inside to become the kind of person whom God can trust with huge scale works of the Holy Spirit. He grows on the inside to become that. It's like, for instance, the, the Joel prophecy we read about earlier. The Joel prophecy, you won't bother reading through it again, but it's a glorious prophecy. In fact, can we? Just, just can we? You can read it now. In the last days, God says, join in with me. I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That is a big prophecy, all right? That is huge. It's a huge prophecy. And, uh, and as he spoke it, it must have been amazing. It's an amazing prophetic word with the outflowing of the Spirit. And it's, it's big scale. It's, it's more than an impression at the microphone even. It's, it's huge scale. It's about the last days in God's great heart. But have you ever wondered how Peter came to read out that passage from the Old Testament? Ever wondered about that? Why that passage? I mean, was it just something that Peter got to in the, in the kind of Bible plan that he was working through, you know, up to Joel 2 today? All right then. Uh, or, or, or was it simply that he put his finger in his Old Testament and picked the first random verses that he came across? Or, or was it that an angel came down from heaven and whispered into his ear, Joel 2, Peter, Joel 2, or Joel? Um, well, you know what? Maybe. Yeah, yeah, maybe, maybe that's what happened. But I don't think so. I don't think so because that's not how prophecy tends to come, does it? Paul says to the Corinthians, we prophesy in part. And I guess what that means is that when we get a prophetic sense of something, it tends to be a mixture of God and us, where we're at. Yeah. In other words, where we're at spiritually influences what we are capable of hearing from God. Does that make sense? I guess it's a bit like this. If you bring a five-year-old from the kids' work in the other room and bring that child into this session, probably he won't take in that much. And we wouldn't expect him to because he's just not big enough. Right? It's just not where he's at. He's not capable because his world is smaller. His interest isn't there. He'd rather watch Thomas the Tank Engine than listen to me. If anybody else feels that way, then please just quietly <laughs> make your effort. <laughs> Don't all go. <laughs> The point is he's just not in a position to hear what's going on. In the same way, so much of what we can hear from God is restricted to where we're at, actually. And as I look at Peter, who's left his little world behind, his focus is on Jesus now. He's in his world now. He's in a position to hear when the big picture prophecy comes. His antennas are up. He has a bigger breadth of heart. He can hear this. He's plugged into what the Spirit is saying. He can take it in. And I'll be honest with you, I want to be like that more and more. 
Don't you? Because God is speaking all the time about his great plans for his church and the kingdom and the world. But often the problem is we're just not in a place to hear it. We're too preoccupied with things in our little world. I mean, sometimes I thought, Pete, stop watching Thomas the Tank Engine and hear God. I've been too preoccupied at some times in my own life. You know, how am I feeling? Do I feel valued? Am I comfortable? Am I happy? Why aren't I happy? Folks, God wants to broaden our hearts, fill us with his spirit, fulfill his great purposes. I was at a lunch just a couple of days ago. Uh, there was about uh, there was 20 of us uh, ministers, pastors. I'd never met them before. Five of them were from Sydney, from Hillsong, and they were hosting this lunch. And I found myself chatting with one particular guy, a very ordinary-looking guy, just very understated, just chit-chat, chit-chat as you do, didn't know him. And, um, and he was hosting the event, so there came a moment where he just said, let's all just sit around the table. So he sat around the table, and, uh, and as he spoke, he began to share about what God was doing in the nations and his own church. And as he talked, suddenly I thought, who is this guy? There is something about him. And what really impressed me was his breadth of heart, his big vision of God and what God could do in the nations. I thought, this is a man of the Spirit, actually. He was a man of the Spirit. And it wasn't until later on that I found out who he was. He's a guy called, I don't know whether you've heard of him, John Arbel? Anybody heard of him? Okay, some of you have. He, he's, the, he's the lead pastor of Hillsong Australia. I didn't know that. <laughs> oh, really? Lead, so he oversees 52 services every Sunday. And I'm so glad he didn't ask me how many I, I oversaw on a Sunday. <laughs> oh, one. <laughs> but I just wasn't so aware of his, his breadth of heart. I can remember thinking, what, what apostolic breadth of heart. And by stepping into Jesus' world, by giving himself to the will of God, Peter grew an apostolic breadth. And so he could plug straight into the Joel prophecy. And now while it's true we may not all be apostles, look, we are called to be an apostolic people. Yes? A people plugged into the fact that God is calling us to be more than what we are because his world is bigger. Remember, he's the one who is not willing that any should perish, that the nations be discipled, that his glory comes across the face of the earth. That is where his spirit is. That is what his spirit is doing. The bottom line is, I want to be where the Spirit is, tuned into what He's saying, ready to move and to believe for big things. And I believe there's an urgency about this. As I said earlier, five little churches in New Zealand, we need to see more because God is interested in more. Where is God's Spirit? Oh, His Spirit is in the more. That same is true here for Sydney as well. His spirit is in the more. Guys, it's time to raise our gaze. I believe God has more for us. Peter is a man full of the spirit. I remember when I was a kid, my dad, uh, I really loved my dad. He was a wonderful man, so demonstrative in his love. And, and there was that moment when, I'd, you know, when he came in from work and you're a kid and you're, where's dad, where's dad? And uh, the thing about dad is I already, always knew where dad was. Because he loved to go out in the, in the garden. And he'd be out in the garden all the time. So I always knew where to find Dad. In the same way, we want to know where the Spirit is. Well, he's easy to find. He's, he's building his church. He's saving the lost. He's out breaking new ground and bringing the kingdom in. That's where you'll find him. 
Not so much in our little world, come and bless me, Lord, come and bless me. No, it's in his world. Peter is a man full of the Spirit because he loved Jesus enough to step out of his little world and step into God's. And as he did so, he grew into a man full of the Spirit with apostolic breath. The question is, what will you do? What will you do? I just want to suggest really gently that maybe some of us have been wandering around in our little worlds for too long where our sights have been just on how do we <laughs> how do we get through how do we pay the bills how do we get the kids through school how do i make my marriage work you know how do i how do i pass my exams and i understand all that but there is a moment isn't there where we need to turn our hearts to god and say god we submit our lives to you and we put you first And it's amazing what God can do. As I said earlier, I believe God is putting his finger on some. And it's not so much that he will come to you, it's that he's calling you out to him. The privilege we have is that we get to sing his song on his stage. And he empowers us to do that. God is speaking to us. I know God is speaking to some of you. It's time to make that step out of love for Jesus and let's see what God will do with you. He will fill you with his spirit, equip you and empower you for the next steps. Amen. Let's stand. Can we just stand?